Awesome. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome this Sunday after Thanksgiving. How many, like he said, how many are still full? Anybody? I'm, I'm, it was a struggle, for real. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie to you today. Uh, but uh, I'm glad to be in church. Um, one, of the, one of the greatest honors that I have, uh, aside from being a husband, aside from being a father, is to preach the gospel and to share uh, about Jesus uh, with other people. But um, today I want to ask, uh, how many of you like to win? As, by a show of hands, how many of you guys like to win? If you're, if you're not raising your hand, I think you're either lying or still asleep, because not many people uh, wake up in the morning and say, I like losing, right? Like, that's not, that's not a thing in, that's not what we do, right? Um, unless, um, I'm kind of starting to think, rethink that question, because I had this sermon written out, but then this last week, I played a pickup game with my son, with some other little kids of soccer uh, in, around my house, and they were like third, fourth grade. And you know I had to jump in there and play, right? Um, that, that first grade goalie didn't stand a chance. I just want you to know that right now. <clears throat> right there. I don't even play soccer, but he didn't stand a chance. So um, we're out there playing, and, you know, my son's only six, and so he's, like, kicking the ball, falling over himself. He doesn't know what he's doing. So um, we're, we're doing our thing, and then um, all of a sudden some girls come out uh, who are the same age, but... How many know at that age, like, girls are just better at sports than boys, right? So, like, that's a, that's a truth. Um, but so the boys start to get upset, and um, so they start complaining. And so me, being the man of God that I am, um, I, I just immediately took it back to South Sac. And um, the thing that I needed to do instantly when I heard them complaining about girls playing was um, to talk trash. That's what I do, right? That's what... I, I don't know, I, I grew up in a very competitive family. My dad was a, a, a basketball coach for a very long time. I'm just a very competitive, driven individual. So my response to them complaining was, well, why don't you step your game up and stop getting beat by girls because they're better than you, right? That's, they're fourth grade, right? <laughs> Lord, forgive me. I'm trying to make them better. Come on. I don't know what they're teaching kids nowadays, but their response to my trash talking, see, if that was me, I would have pushed a girl, I would have broke her leg, I would have done whatever I had to do in order to win because nobody's going to talk trash to me and tell me that girls are better than me, right? But their response was this. And they literally stopped the game and went home. I'm like, what are we, can, we, can we grow up today? Come on. Like, these kids don't know com- competition. And so, anyways, that has nothing to do with the sermon. I just want, I just want you to know... Uh, Pray for your children, pray for the next generation, and let's get, get a backbone on the next generation, teach them to be tough. Come on, man, grow a beard or something. Anyways, so <laughs> nobody, nobody enjoys losing unless you're those kids, but um, nobody enjoys losing, uh, like nobody, nobody plays Connect Four hoping to Connect Three, right? Like nobody, nobody wants to do that, um, and so um, my, my, I have this theory, it's not biblical, um, so humor me. Um, I call it the, the Westies theory of victorious conception. And that's not, a, that's not a scientific term. That's just what I made up, okay? I have this theory that every single one of us is a winner, okay? And I'm not going to talk to you today about sports. I'm not going to do all that because I, I spent a lot of my life in sports and doing that and this and that. But I'm, I'm going to reference a couple things. But I have this theory that every single one of you here today is here today because you won a victory. And I'm not going to get into the biology of how there could have been millions of other little yous, right? 
I'm not going to get into that. But there was a reason that you won the victory and you, before a cell even split, you won the race to get to where you were and you are you because you won. You cannot have life without victory. Does that make sense? So it's interesting that in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul talks about how everybody that's in the race is running a race, but we run the race as children of God to win. And there is a, from, from literal conception to the end of your life, there is an emphasis on victory. There is an emphasis as children of God, as winners. You are more than conquerors. We are victorious in Jesus. And the Bible is full of stories of God giving the victory, God providing success for his people. And I believe truly that God wants us to succeed in life. I'm not one of those people that I believe that God wants us to, to just fail and you'll learn from your mistakes. Although that is a part of life. I believe God truly, the heart of God is to want his children to win and be successful in what they do. And how do I know that? We look at, we look at uh, 1 Peter 5, 7, give all your worries to God and cares to God for he cares for you. And that's one of the best scriptures in the Bible of when you are dealing with something and you, when you're going through it, you can just kind of look at that scripture and say, you know what? God cares about me. And if God cares about me, then that means he's for me. And that means he's on my side. And no matter what I face today, I know that whether I win or whether I lose, God still cares about me. And so you, you see all the way from the fall in the garden to slavery in Egypt to the promised land to Babylonian captivity, the Bible shows us time and time again that God is a God of victory. You look at Moses. God tells Moses to lift up his hands. All you have to do is lift your hands and you're going to win. The Israelites will have the victory. God looks at Gideon and he says, even though you're a man hiding in the threshing floor in Judges chapter 6, I'm going to call you a mighty man of valor, a mighty man of valor, a mighty warrior. Uh, that, that is God in his victory, giving the victory to somebody who doesn't have victory. God has the ability to give us the victory. Joshua, he told Joshua, be strong and courageous. But also he said, wherever you put your foot, you're going to conquer that land because he's already stepped into what we have not yet stepped into. And so he has the ability to give us what we don't have yet because he's a God of victory. He operates from outside of our time and space. And so he is a God of victory. We look at David. We look at Daniel. We look at Elijah. We look at story after story after story in the Bible of God prov providing success and victory for his people. God is a God of victory. God cannot be, be defeated. And I don't know about you, but that's good news because uh, if God was defeated, he would no longer be God. And therefore, everything that we stand for would crumble to the ground. But God cannot be defeated. And the greatest news of all, and you got to forgive me because I get excited about Jesus. Uh, the greatest news, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, that is a moment that you should clap and high five your neighbor and tell somebody that God is for us. However, I don't want to talk about that today. So um, we're going to talk about what happens after the victory because I believe um, sometimes we get caught up in the things that God does for us and we forget the next steps. And I believe that God wants us to be a mature people, to be people that have uh, a, a little bit of backbone in the faith if you would, um, to understand that it's not just about what God is doing here and now. It's not about the victory that we are uh, uh, winning right now that God is doing for us, but there are next steps. And so my question today is, what happens after the victory? We want to take it a step further because we understand that God is a God of victory. I just laid that out. But what happens after the victory? And if you have your Bible, go ahead and mark Acts uh, chapter 16, verse, starting at verse 25. 
We'll have it up on the screen. But Acts 16, 25. And this is something I, I have heard forever. And I'm going to read the section that everybody preaches on. Acts 16, 25. But it says, But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains fell off. Amen. Glory to God. That's a great story. I love it. However, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest and transparent. Is that cool? Can I be honest with you? Um, I've been a youth pastor for a long time. I have gray hairs you can't see because I was a youth pastor for a long time. But um, we, we had these things that we call, if you're familiar with youth ministry, these things called lock-ins. God help me. Um, Lock-ins were great because what you did, you basically got some adults to secure the perimeter, make sure nobody kills themselves or gets abducted. Uh, and then you have, you have all these kids that you lock in, you give them pizza, you give them carbohydrates, and you give them Red Bull for 12 hours, and you stay up all night, and you, you, you do certain things, you watch movies, you preach sermons. and yeah. So when I first started, I had this vision of like, let's bring out all these great youth pastors and do this stuff. And yeah, that's great. So I invited them out, and I didn't tell them what to speak on. Like, just come and preach. You have like an hour or two, whatever you want to do. We're here all night. Just preach for 11 hours. I don't care, right? So entertain these kids so I can go nap in the corner. So the, th- the first time we did it, we had three youth pastors. Every single one of them preached this. Because <laughs> I was like, okay, either, either that's, that's really that good, or maybe they're just, they understand, like, okay, but about midnight, right? We're in the middle of the night. First guy's pe- preaching at like 11 Next time I preaching at like 2 a.m., right? Like it's, it's in the middle of the night with a bunch of kids that are just hyped on sugar, right? So they all come and they all reference Acts chapter 16 starting at verse 25. And then they stop at everyone's chains were unfastened. And so this is cool. This is good. This is great because it's scripture. And I believe truly the reason we focus on this part of scripture, I've heard sermon after sermon on this and how God wants to set you free and this and that. It is the gospel exemplified. How so? You have people who are in bondage. They cry out to God. God answers them and God sets them free. That is the gospel message right? In Acts 16, 25 to 26. That is the gospel, and that's great. My concern is that we become so stuck on this that we don't realize what happens directly after this. We don't realize the very next scripture in verse 27, you have breakthrough, you have victory, you have everybody's chains coming off. If that was me, I would have run out to prison, and I would have just kicked the jailer. Ah, yeah, God did it. Woo! Right? That's what I would have done, but... I'm going to go back to my family. Paul was beaten. Paul was whipped. He was put in for casting out a demon. That's like, really? But so anyways, verse 27, right after the breakthrough and all this great victory, it says this. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. And now I want you to look at the, the high highs in that scripture and then the very next low, low. You have some of the greatest things that God has ever done. He answers by earthquake and all of these shackles fall off of everybody who is worshiping Jesus, right? At the same time, in the same place, you have somebody who is at the lowest point of their entire life that he thought he should kill himself. And that's something that we need to realize and and, and reconcile as Christians. We need to be mature enough 
to look at this scripture and realize what God is saying to us today. It says, but Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself for we are all here. They didn't go anywhere. They didn't do what I would have done. And he called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to, uh, to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and his household. Uh, and he brought them into his house and set food before them. And now today, uh, I want to ask three very basic, very simple questions, but I believe they cause us to reflect and look at our Christianity from a different perspective and realize what God is doing for us um, maybe our answer could be skewed. Maybe the, our reaction to the victory may not be what God wants us uh, to. How do you manage the is this? How do you manage what God has given you? How do you manage the victories that God has given you? Because we look at the story of Paul and Silas and what they did, their reaction uh, to what God was doing was not the normal reaction because you would think that if God set you free, you would be free indeed, right? And you would just run out and that's it. But they had a different response, and they had this attitude of victory. And this is something I want to kind of focus in on right here is the attitude of victory is uh, you realizing that your victory, whatever it is that God has done, whether he answered a prayer, whether, whatever it is that God has done for you in your life, and your story is your story, whatever he's done is not the end prayer that you're going to pray. That's not the end result. That healing may not be the last time you get sick. There are things that we need to keep moving in our faith. Uh, the attitude of victory means that you know more battles are still to be fought and more victories are still to come. That means that you don't do these three things. And I've seen in sports and at the, the highest level uh, in, in the kingdom of God, uh, you see people all the time who when God comes through and God does whatever it is God does in that person's life, um, they become either selfish, complacent, or arrogant. And those are the three things that I want us to, I'm not going to focus on those because I don't believe that any of us are there, right? So, but God does not want us to be selfish with the victory that God has given us. He doesn't want us to be complacent and stay stuck where we are. And he doesn't want us to be full of pride and say, oh, I made it already. How many times have you seen somebody that has accomplished something and God, you know that God has favored that person to do whatever it is they did, and all of a sudden they get the biggest head in the world that they look like a walking candy apple spiritually, right? And they fall over because they're so puffed up and full of pride. I believe that God wants us, instead of those three things, he wants us to have this, thankfulness, humility, and strength. Somebody say, thankful, humble, and strong. Say it again. Thankful humble and strong. God wants us to be thankful, humble, and strong. Let's get rid of the selfishness, complacency, and arrogance, and God wants us to be thankful, humble, and strong. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this story. I'm going to make fun of my wife a little bit, but um, don't judge me. There's a lot of you that just judge me. Don't judge me. Okay, so when we were younger, uh, my, our first kid, Caleb, uh, we had a she had a great pregnancy, you know, babies, you know, healthy in, in the womb, doing his things, kicking, doing all that, right? Um, so we, um, we go and we think the time has come for the baby, right? You know, the first-time parents, you're all stressed out and worried. 
we get to the hospital. I'm like, okay, where's the bed? I need to punch somebody. Where do I need to go? Like, let's go. I need to get my wife settled. Let's do this, right? And I'm all flustered. I don't know what I'm doing. First kid. Second child, you've seen the commercials. The second child. Second child, you just don't care, right? So anyway, so we're there, and we go, and they're like, oh, no, too soon. I was like, what do you mean too soon, bro? Like, doctor, what you mean, right? So um, he was like, it's too soon. Baby's not ready. I was like, so what are we supposed to do? So what, we did what any normal couple would do. We went to Target, right? Um, so, true story. My wife labored for a long time at the Target in Rockland because we got it like that, right? We just went to Target, right? So every, every few steps, she would walk, grab something, and I'm tired. You have no idea how tired I was, right? And so I'm like, oh, babe, it's okay, right? And, and she's like, and she doesn't talk, and so like her whole, her whole face in labor was this. Didn't say nothing, didn't yell, focused, right? And so we're doing that, and so for 48 hours, she was in labor. <laughs> Do you know how uncomfortable I was for that 48 hours? I'm not joking. I'm, I mean it. Do you, do you know that the, the couch is this wide at, at Kaiser? What are they doing? Like, don't they care about the father? Don't they care? Like, I, she had drugs. I didn't, right? It was like, here I am struggling, and we're going through all this stuff, and she's fine because she's focused, and I have to talk to people, but different pastors are coming in, let's pray, like, you know, uh, babies, you know, heart rate's going up and down, there's, there's worry of different things, preeclampsia, all this stuff, right? And, and I'm like, don't you, don't you see what I'm going through? This, this is hard right now. I've got to be supportive. It's dumb. So anyways, all these, we had all these friends and family come in, and we were praying because there was actually quite a bit of concern that the, either the baby or mom would be... Uh, would be in trouble, um, but thank God that he was, and so the time comes, he's born, it's great, we celebrate, and we're like, yes, I'm like, I get to go home. <sighs> they kick us out of the room, and I'm like, wait, wait, what are, what are we doing, what are we doing, where are we going? I was good right here, because we won the victory, we got the baby, what's going on? So they send us out, and we walk outside, I got the kid, and it's raining, and I'm like, um, hello, this, there's going to be traffic that's unsafe. Like, and so all of these things start going through my head as a first-time parent. You're worried, right? First-time parent. And you're like, oh, my gosh. Um, I have to raise this thing, right? That was what went through my mind. And so, um, so all, this, all, all this stuff, we realized, and as we matured as, as parents, we focused so much on the victory and getting the child. That was the end result. And we thought we were done. There's something after that that comes with like changing diapers and you got to feed it, right? You got to do all these different things, water it, give it sun, like do whatever it is that you got to do and make sure that it grows and photosynthesis takes place, all of that stuff, right? So I'm joking. I'm just, <laughs> I love my children. Um, but there's a time in your maturity and your walk with the Lord when you have to realize that there are more things to come after the victory. When God does something for you, there's stuff that you must do after. There are steps that we, as believers, must take. We have to stay thankful, humble, and strong. Now, how do we stay thankful, humble, and strong? Well, um, we know this. Give God the first 15 minutes. And I mean this. I'm, I went a majority of when I first got saved of just kind of like going from conference to conference. And then I realized in, as I grew in maturity that the time in the morning spent with the Lord is the most rewarding time 
that you could probably ever have, where you give God at least 15 minutes of your day, and you pray, and you worship, and you stay in your word, because that will give you an attitude of victory, meaning that you are thankful, that you are humble, and you continue to be strong for the things that are yet to come. God wants us to be good stewards of the victory. Don't just stay stuck in your victory. God wants you to manage it well. The second question I have is who shares in your victory? And this may seem like a a pretty simple um, point or question, but you have Paul and Silas who just received one of the, I mean, how many of you, like seriously, wrap your mind around this. If you're worshiping and God shows up with an earthquake and then like literal chains and things started falling and then like everybody gets set free, right? Like that's dope. I'm sorry, but like that's dope. So, what? So, <laughs> God answers, and I want you to notice Paul's reaction to the miracle. He doesn't focus on the miracle. He focuses on the man. There's no recollection, and there's no uh, uh, observation that the Bible mentions that the, of the salvation or whatever became of the other prisoners. There's no focus on them. There's no focus, and there, there's no point that mentions that Paul even thanked God for what God did. There's no mention that Paul looks at this and starts preaching to the people who were there that were in chains. And this is why. This is the God that we serve. There's no mention of that. There's no mention of Paul going and doing anything other than focusing his attention to the lost, the broken, and the hurting. If you read the scripture, you understand that God shows up mightily and provides a great victory for Paul and Silas. And the very first thing that Paul does is Turn to the one that is lost and broken. Isn't this the gospel? Isn't this the way Jesus is? Because the Bible says that Jesus came to seek and save those who were in church. No, he came to seek and save those who were lost, those who are broken, those who are hurting. And I think the the thing that we do in our Christianity um, is a lot of times we focus on what God is doing for me. We focus on the internal. Well, God did this for me. Let me share with my friends and my family, those who are closest. But I want to tell you today that the gospel and the victory that God has provided for you is not just for you. It's not just for your family. And it's not just for those in your inner circle. Check this out. The man who received the greatest victory in this story is somebody who had nothing to do with the original miracle. And he's also the person who was responsible for the chains that Paul and Silas were in in the first place. What does that tell me? That tells me that the gospel has enough power when you focus your priorities and you share correctly the victory that God has given you. You have the ability to go to those who have hurt you the most and share the good news of Jesus. See, so many people look at other people who have hurt them, who have turned their back on them, those who, who disagree with them in the political world, whatever it may be. You, you see all this division because they don't deserve to be a part of what God has done in my life. The answer in the world today is to turn a cold shoulder like that person did to me. Well, I'm going to get back at that person like that person got back at me. That's the response from most people. But the mature response, and I believe the thing that God wants us to, to hear today, is that even the person who has hurt you the most, even the person responsible for the situation you are in today, deserves to be a recipient of the victory God provides for you. God is, the gospel is so transcendent and transformational and so powerful that it will break down any barrier of division in our society. There is nothing that can stand in the, in the way of the power of the gospel. It can break down any, and I mean any, barrier. 
Are you with me? Any barrier at all. Why? Because this is the heart of God. It's about everyone. And I mean everyone. That's hard for us sometimes because I'm going to be honest with you. Look, I have a neighbor. I don't think they're here. Uh, (laughs) Let me see. Nope. Okay. So they will be, though. Come on. So I have a neighbor. Um, Let me just say it like this. Okay. The other day they're putting up Christmas decorations. I exert energy and do this. Right? Wave it to them. Their response as a family, Lord help me. Their response, look at me. I was like, excuse me? What? I mean, hold on. Uh, That's not how we do this. Like, I waved, I waved my hand, I waved to you, you waved back. And I wanted to come over there and say something to them, but then I realized there's, I had to calm down. And realize that there was maybe something in their life that maybe they don't trust people. Maybe they don't trust neighbors. Maybe somebody hurt them in their previous wherever they lived before. Maybe they don't, maybe something happened and they were hurt as young people. I don't even know. You have no idea what that other person is going through. And so instead of me getting upset and saying, your reaction wasn't what I wanted, my response then should be, I'm going to show you grace even when you don't deserve it. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the next time somebody offends you, I want you to realize that while you offended Jesus, he still died for you. So the next time, next time somebody gives you the bird, somebody turns their back on you, somebody cuts you off in traffic, somebody stabs you in the back, somebody hurts you as a young person, whatever it is, whatever past memory you have from somebody in the past, whatever you've gone through, I want you to realize that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Jesus died for you. Now, how do we do this? What, what are some, some steps uh, to sharing our victories with those who don't deserve it? Let's be honest. Um, the jailer, in our eyes, in our worldview, didn't deserve the victory that Paul and Silas received. But yet Paul's response, I believe, is the heart of God. Paul's response is what our response should be, to turn the victory that we receive to those who don't deserve it. The gospel is inclusive. How do we do that? Well, let's start by learning somebody's name. Smile in public. Be a nice person. You know how hard that is for some Christians to do? Walk around with a chip on their shoulder. Everybody walks around just bitter. Don't walk around bitter. You've been forgiven. You've been set free. God has already won the victory for you. And if you've ever read the Bible, you understand that no matter what you go through, he, at the end of the day, has already won the victory. And I learned this. God heals sometimes on earth, but he always heals in heaven. Sometimes he'll heal your wounds, but he will always in eternity heal your wounds. So don't worry about what that person does to you. Don't walk around with a chip on your shoulder. Why don't you extend a hand, no matter what they look like, no matter what they believe, no matter where they come from, extend a hand, get to know them, invite them to coffee, invite that person to small group. See what I did there? (laughs) Invite that person to church, because even if you don't like them, God loves them. Even if you don't like them, God died for them. It's about you bragging about what God has done in your life and letting them be included in the salvation and the victory that God provides for you. Now, the third question, so we have uh, how do you manage your victory? Who shares in your victory? And the last one I think is big picture because you have how do you manage internally? And then right around you, how do you 
How do you share? Who shares in your victory? And then this is kind of a big picture question of where will your victories take you? And this is one of the things, Paul, Paul if you read the, the life of Paul and his mission, missionary journeys and things like that, um, he had many victories. God uh, set him free from prison several times, and he was beaten and then set free, and then all this other stuff, and like three-quarters of the books that he wrote were in jail, right? And so God provides all this victory for him, and this is just one small example. But um, if you go to the end of the book of Acts, this is amazing. It says this, for the next two years, Paul lived in Rome, which is where he was trying to get to at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. So if you look at what he was trying to get to, he got set free, and big picture, he made it to the center of the known world at that time. And what does he do? He gets to Rome, and he preaches the gospel, and everybody he runs into, he shares Jesus with them. The big picture is God gave him a small victory. He took it literally to the ends of the earth. If you make it to Rome, you can spread out from there and you can make it anywhere. The gospel spread around the world because Paul made it to Rome. And this scripture right here is why we have the gospel today. The God, Paul made it to Rome and we can now receive the gospel because of what he did. So where did his victories take him? Took him to Rome. Paul managed his victories well. He shared his victories with those around him and ultimately shared the triumph of the gospel with the center of the known world. His victory launched him into his purpose. My question to you today is where will your victories take you? I have a friend who was, uh, who was born in Vietnam and uh, during the, the Vietnam War. And um, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, he was sharing his story with me a while back. And um, it was an incredible story. And I thought it was just so relevant to what's, what's taking place here. And I believe what God is doing here right now. Um, he was born in Vietnam. And, and during the war, his family, uh, they don't really know what happened. They were either killed or um, they were just separated. So he was subsequently picked up by the U.S. military and taken to, a, to an Air Force base. Um, um, and so he was, he was there and he was, he was just an infant at the time. And, uh, this thing called Operation Baby Lift. Some of you maybe know about it. So he was actually one of the babies in Operation Baby Lift. And, um, the, as there were a couple planes one day taking off and the plane in front of his, um, took off and about 12 minutes into the flight, the back door, the hydraulics, uh, failed and there was a compression problem and, and the plane went down. And there were, uh, I believe, a couple hundred people on board that plane. And the plane went down and on that plane. Several people survived, but 78 babies and infants died on that plane as the, the U.S. military was trying to save them and get them out of the country to take them to orphanages and places all over. They were going to the Philippines and then to Australia, New Zealand, and then to the United States and just getting, getting the babies taken care of. He was on the next plane. And I believe there's a reason that he was on the next plane and not saying that God didn't have purpose for those other children and we can ask the big philosophical questions. But I know in his life, he realized that God had a purpose for him because his plane made it and he was rescued and he was brought from the from Vietnam to the Philippines, and then eventually made it to the United States. And then when he made it to the United States, he spent most of his childhood uh, growing up in uh, in foster care, in different orphanages, and, and jumping from house to house, and he really had no family. The great thing about that is that he received the gospel at an early age. 
and he gave his life to Jesus at an early age. And so the, he did what most people don't do. He grew up not having bitterness towards people uh, who have maybe caused the hurt that he had gone through because it's not easy. I've, I've dealt with a lot of kids that have gone through, the, through uh, foster care and things like that. It's not easy on them emotionally. And him growing up, uh, he, he dealt with some of those questions, but at the end of the day, he was able to forgive those who he killed his family, the, the, the questions in his life of where is my family, why didn't, I have to, why didn't I have them here? He was able to forgive, and he didn't hold on to the bitterness that should have been there, that the world says we should have. The world tells us that we should think a certain way, but God tells us we need to think correctly, amen? So he grew up being able to let go of that bitterness and, and really give his life to God. And he ended up getting married, and he has a couple children. And um, so do you know what he's doing today? Ask me. Ask me what he's doing. Okay. What he's doing. I'm glad you asked. Um, today, at this very moment, he is now a missionary in Vietnam because he and his wife decided God provided a victory for me, and I shared it with my family. We all got saved together, right? And now we're going to take it big picture and give back to the place where I should have been killed, the place that I should have never made it. I am now serving as a missionary, right? That's, that's, that was his response. And he said, I just wanted to go back and give back because what God has given me is too big for me to handle myself. I need to be able to release it to anybody that wants to receive it. The big picture in life and the question you need to ask yourself, are you willing to go wherever God calls you to go? Are you willing to go to the ends of the earth? I mean that literally to the ends of the earth he went back, left a good-paying job at his church. He's serving in full-time ministry. He said, you know what? I need to give back because God has called me to serve the people that I would have originally grown up with back in Vietnam. And so the big picture of life is this. Your victories are good for a moment, but I don't want you to focus on them. God, I, I believe God does not want us to focus on what he, we're doing right here, right now. The big picture is there is a lost and broken and hurting world. There are people who have yet to receive Jesus. There are people who have never heard of the name of Jesus. And here we are in church, and I'm not trying to guilt trip you or anything, but I want you to understand the big picture of things is that you have freedom. Give freedom. You have hope. Give hope. You have life. Give life. You have a smile to give somebody. Give somebody a smile. You have a handshake and a warm hug. The greatest worship leader. You don't have to have the most talent in the world. All you have to do is Give what God has placed on the inside of you, and that is Jesus. Present Jesus to people, whether you're here, whether you're in your community, or whether you decide, like my wife and I and our friend, to go to the ends of the earth to go and preach the good news of Jesus. And I want to just encourage you today that God has given all of us the freedom to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I don't want you to be ashamed of it. So many times we focus on what God does in our lives, but I want, this is a message that I want you to focus in the spirit of thanksgiving. Take it to the world. I mean that. Take it to the world. Take it to the person on the street corner. Take it to somebody who doesn't deserve it, somebody who hurt you when you were a, a young person, that uncle, that aunt, whatever, whoever hurt you in the past. Go take the gospel to them because that's how powerful the gospel of Jesus is. It can break down any barrier and it can set the entire world free. Amen. I want to pray for you today. Would you just close your eyes? Father, I thank you uh, for everybody that's here today. God, I thank you um, for the message that we were able to receive. I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you are a God of victory, that you provide the victory, and no one else can. God, even when we are at our lowest point, God, you can still answer 
with earthquakes and break all chains. But God, after that, I pray that, God, we would manage the victories that you have given us. I pray that we would be the people who share the good news of Jesus, that we would be known as a church that shares the good news of Jesus with those around us, even when they don't deserve it. God, I pray right now specifically for those who need to forgive. I pray that that, that forgiveness would just creep into their heart right now, Father, and that you, uh, by the power of your spirit, would give them the ability to forgive right now. Those who have hurt us the most, God, whether it's 20, 30, 40 years ago, God, I pray that that forgiveness would break down that barrier right now and the gospel of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, the love of Jesus would come in. And God, I pray for the big picture of this church, that we would be people who go out and that we see the big picture in life. And God, that is, you came to seek and save those who are lost and the world deserves, they need to hear about Jesus. So empower us, strengthen us, In this, as we give thanks to you for what you have done and the victories that you have won for us, God, I pray that you would allow us to go and share the good news. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Everybody said, amen, amen. Thank you. God bless you.